Come with me as we dive into some of the most intimate diaries a person could share. My mission is to inspire you to push through during the toughest of times, too. Thank you for being here. This is Push Diaries Podcast, and I'm your host, Tess. If you are a sponsor or would like to run a commercial and think that my message and my podcast would be beneficial for your business, please consider contacting me. I would be honored to work with you. We have the ability to put commercials into these episodes. Thank you for your consideration. Take care. Episode 30, Kelly Brush Foundation. Well, thank you for coming on today. I'm super excited to have you. Um, For those of the listeners that don't know who you are, Kelly, do you mind just kind of doing a short little introduction of yourself, what your name is, where you're from, and why you're on today? Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Kelly Brush. I am from Vermont. I am a wheelchair user. I have a spinal cord injury. I was injured in 2006 when I was 19. I was ski racing and I fell and hit a lift tower and broke my back. So I am uh, paraplegic now. I use a, a wheelchair full time and I started a foundation called the Kelly Brush Foundation that helps people with spinal cord injuries get out and be active. Um, we started, I started right after I got hurt in 2006, but really it's been the last five or six years that we've really decided to try to grow and we're making a much bigger impact in this community and helping people just get out and not let their their disability limit them. Yeah, that's amazing. I, you know, I don't know how much you know about me, Kelly, but I had a spinal tumor in 2014 and I I found your foundation. I think it was through friends of ours at Dare to Try in Chicago. I'm pretty sure it was them who said, hey, if you want to start doing sports as like a serious thing as a person in a in a chair and actually be able to maintain your physical, you know, desire to bike and and do all those things, check with the Kelly Brush Foundation because they offer grants, you know, multiple times a year and you can apply to be granted money to help you stay active. And so it's just cool that you're all the way from Vermont and I'm living in Michigan now, but at the time I was in Minnesota and really, truly your foundation was like the only foundation at the time that I knew of that had this type of grant. So it's very cool. It's kind of fun that like now I'm wanting to do this podcast stuff, share the stories of how people are overcoming and your foundation has literally helped me do that and overcome and get to where I am today. So thank you. Oh, thank you. That's really nice. And, you know, honestly, when we talk about sports and being active, I always say it's so much more than just sports for the sake of sports. It means so much more and can lead to so much more, lead to more confidence, you know, being able to get out, feeling like you can do more, being excited about doing these things, pursuing, you know, something that you never thought you would do before. And being active can really foster that. So I'm so happy to hear that from you. Yes. Yes. Well, you said it right nail on the head there. It's like, you know, I've always been a person who felt very 
like inspired to just be kind to others and help them feel motivated to do things. And I can sense that that's who you are too. When your accident happened, was there a time where you felt defeated? I mean, can you talk about like the lower parts of your injury and and how you were able to overcome that? And then I also wanted to know how you met your husband. Yeah, great question. So uh, the I'll answer the second one first because that one's easier. Um, so my husband Zeke, we actually were dating. We had been dating for about a year when I had my accident. So we were we were at college together. We went to Middlebury College in Vermont, and um, we started dating our freshman year. And then I got hurt when I was a sophomore. So we've actually been together that whole time, which is pretty crazy. So in a lot of ways, I'm really lucky. He's been there through it all, and he actually came. I took a semester off of school when I got hurt and went to rehab, and he did the same thing um, and came with me. So he really like learned everything about how I live my life now when you did, right? Yeah, he he learned it at the same time I did. So it was really great. So he it's been really helpful that way and I feel really really lucky. So, yeah, you asked about some of the sort of like lower points. You know, I I was really lucky. I, I think there was a few things that really set me up for success after I had my injury. One I think was just luck. My personality just was sort of uh I was lucky enough to be you know, I just see things positively and that's just my nature. I just am able to focus on those good things and not the bad. And so I was really set up well to have an injury like this because I was able to focus on the good things and not the bad. So because of that and because of a lot of other things, like I had a really supportive family, I had a really supportive group of friends and a huge community around me. So Middlebury College is a small college, but everybody rallied around me there. The ski racing community is a small community also. I mean, it's big, it's, you know, national, international, but, but it's a small community. So they really rallied around me. So I had a lot of support. So I really was able to do well, right, right away and know that I had a lot of people, you know, there to help me and to back me up. So I quite honestly did not have a lot of time that was really low. I, you know, I was really sort of like, okay, I'm hurt. You know, I sort of went through the like, I'm going to get better phase right at the beginning. Everybody does, you know, I'm going to be the one who beats this. I'm going to, I'm going to be able to walk again, all that kind of stuff. It became clear pretty quickly that that wasn't going to be the case and no amount of like trying harder was going to make it better. Right. (laughs) As much people like to say that but for me I really was just sort of like on to the next thing it's like okay so I have monocrine injury like what can I do now like what else can I do okay so I can hand cycle great okay I'm going back to college like what do I need to to go back to college okay I need an accessible dorm room you know it was just sort of on to the next thing for me and I was able to just focus on that and that I think really benefited me and allowed me to have you know, I hate to say like an easy time, but I didn't have like a lot of time that I really felt like I needed to, you know, I wasn't in a really, really bad place at any point. Right, right. And I think it's interesting when we talk about like, you know, adaption and even just how you were saying your husband, now husband decided to stay with you. But the person he was falling in love with and the person you were falling in love with was unchanged, right? Like you guys were already a team. You were already 
sure, you maybe didn't know what the future would bring, but the qualities that attracted you both in each other are, are all the things you just said. I mean, Kelly, you're a person who doesn't give up and you see the good and the bad. And, you know, one part of grief, one of the stages of grief is denial. And I, and I think you're right. I think a lot of people that go through a health issue, we, we never knew anything else. All we knew was the body that God gave us. And so when we're challenged with a body that is changing and injured, it's just really amazing that you guys were able to look past that and know the power you still had mentally, but also as a person who wasn't going to get better because it is, it's hard. I think a lot of people get hung up in that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, and, and it's not to say that like there weren't hard moments, right? Like certainly I remember like crying at times when I was in rehab and when I first got back to school, all of a sudden things were different in some ways and, and all that. So it's not to say that there wasn't hard moments, but I think a lot of it was it is is just like you said, it's sort of focusing on that good and it was it was not letting the other stuff like bog me down. So I had that, you feel it, you get upset by it, and then you move on. Right. right? And that's a huge part of it. And that, you know, lends itself to so many different areas of life too is was just a really helpful part of this injury and because yeah I had I mean I uh, up until that point I had no other major things that I had to overcome I had a really really normal life um and you know I went to and and followed the script that I was you know thought that I would I was a ski racer, I was an athlete, I was in high school, and then I went to a, a good college where I always wanted to go. You know, I was like doing all that, and then all of a sudden this, I had this accident and this totally yeah. thrown a wrench in everything that I was doing. Yeah. What out. level injury were you, Kelly? And can you just like describe the moments that, it, before it happened maybe, and the moments after and, and what you learned about your injury as, as you did go to the hospital and the doctors told you that news, how are you feeling? Like, can you just kind of take us through that roller coaster of emotion that those couple of days were? Yeah, totally. So um, my injury level is T7-8. So I broke my back at, at T7-8. So I'm right, at, like, you know, chest down or so. Um So my memory of that day is I was racing and I was about halfway down the course and I got spun around backwards somehow. I don't really know exactly how it happened, but I remember I was sort of sliding. I was going down backwards um, and thinking that I was going to hit the next gate. And that's actually the last thing that I remember. My next uh, what happened is I, at that point got, I, my edges sort of like caught and it sort of like catapulted me off sideways and I hit the lift tower there, um, and broke my back. Uh, so at that point, then I don't really have my next full memory is actually waking up in a hospital bed, um, much later that night, or it was like two in the morning or something. Um, after I had just had like 10 hours of surgery to stabilize my spine, And at that moment, I was laying in bed with my family all around me, and I had a tube down my throat to help me breathe, and I remember just motioning to them, like, what happened? I just had no idea what had happened. Um, I have a few sort of, like, snapshot memories 
one, you know, a couple being in the emergency room, one being right before I went into surgery, um, but nothing really sustained until after I woke up from surgery. And that was, that was basically my body's like shock response, you know, you'd not remember any of that, even though I was like fully conscious and everything for all of it. Um, I just don't really remember it. Was your family and Zeke at the ski tournament that day when, when you fell? Yeah, they were. So they were there. So both of my parents were there. Um, and Zeke was there also. So Zeke was also a ski racer and he was racing in the same race. My parents actually saw, watched the fall. They like saw me fall. Zeke didn't. He sort of came, he came down after. And, but my sister, uh, I have one sister and she also is a ski racer, but had torn her ACL the weekend before actually, which was really sad. Oh. Um, and so she wasn't at the race, so she, but she came down. It was about, we were a couple hours from, um, from she was also at Middlebury. So we were a couple hours from there. And when she heard about my accident, she came down. So they were all there. Um, and, you know, it was a funny thing for me because I didn't have a moment of like, oh, my gosh, I can't feel my legs uh, that most people have um, because I don't remember that immediate aftermath of my accident. Um, And I was really injured otherwise, too. I had like four broken ribs. I had a collapsed lung. I had broken a couple bones in my neck. You know, I was like hurt also. So I think I was just like such the shock of everything that that I don't really remember that. And then honestly, afterwards, when I was laying there in that bed asking what happened, my parents and and my family and it was it was my parents and my sister and Zeke were all standing around the bed. And um, they were sort of explaining it to me. But I don't remember them saying, you know, you're paralyzed and you're not going to walk again. I it was just not that clear, I guess. So it was really a slow process for me to learn, like, okay, this is where I am. This is what's happening. Sure. And did you have good health care right in your town then? Or like how far away were you from home? Was this hospital, was this 10-hour surgery? It was a ways. So from the mountain that I was racing at, so I was racing down in in Massachusetts, um, in western Massachusetts, and it was like two or three hours, probably three hours from Middlebury, which is where I was in school. And then my parents lived about a half an hour from there. So we were about three hours away from that. So I had, but it was only, you know, I don't even know how far from the mountain, half an hour from the mountain or whatever. So it was a quick ride for the ambulance ride. And then like all I said before that the ski, ski community was really supportive and the Middlebury community, like everybody, apparently the, the emergency room was like filled with, with my my um teammates that after the race and they all stayed I mean there were multiple people who stayed both the team but also like parents of my teammates um who a bit who became really good friends of my parents um because they would all be at races together um they all came and like stayed until the surgery was over which was you know the middle of the night and stuff so it was really great there was a lot of people around but it was it was it was far from home like people were staying at hotels and stuff And then I ended up going to rehab um, at Craig Hospital out in Colorado. So that flight away that I took and then and my parents came and we had a lot of support out there. Again, the ski community, there was a family who had another house that let my parents stay there while we were while I was in rehab. And Zeke stayed well with a couple of different people. But Craig also has a 
some like apartments that families can stay in. So he stayed there and it was hard. It was really hard being that far away actually. Cause I was Colorado and you know, all my, everybody was in Vermont. So. Right. So how long then did you stay in Colorado before you came back home to continue rehab? I was in Colorado. So I was in Massachusetts in the first hospital that, that I was in for about two weeks. And then I was in rehab out in Colorado for two months. And then I came back to Vermont and really Craig is such an amazing place. They really set me up well for success that at, by the time I left there, I was like ready to be home and done. So wow. I didn't need any more rehab. When I got home, I wasn't getting any like functional return. So I know for a lot of people, if they're getting function return, you know, you keep working on that. Um, but I hadn't at that point gotten any. And so, I mean, at this point either. Um, so it was sort of just like a, once I've learned how to like take care of myself and all my like daily functions and everything, as well as like transferring and how to, you know, move around, then I was sort yeah. of, so it was yeah. a long, that was, that was almost 15 years ago now. So it's very different now yes. with insurance and what people will cover and whatever. So I was really lucky that I got to stay yeah. um, as long as I, I did. Yeah. I feel the same way about Mayo, like the Mayo clinic in, in Rochester, Minnesota, I, I, when I got sick, I moved in with my sister in Winona and she was just an hour from the hospital and where I did rehab. So it was a blessing. I mean, every one of those rehab staff, I'm sure you can agree about Craig, like they just, yeah, they want you to be self-sustaining. They want you to feel comfortable and kind of reclaim as much normalcy as, as you can. And so I'm so thankful that, that you were given that and that you were able to really return home feeling confident. I, I hope you don't mind I ask this. I, I'm curious about it. I didn't even have this written down, but what's been the hardest as far as getting back to independence? As far as like, you know, for me, I would share that like cathing has been my biggest struggle now as a woman who's living independently with her fiance. Our, our wedding is postponed kind of due to COVID. But the, the biggest challenge for me is being able to undress myself and redress myself like quickly enough in order to cath. And so I, I have made a few girlfriends, you know, that are in the same boat as me now post disability. And the super pubic catheter has been something I've been considering. And so I'm wondering, um, Kelly, how has that been for you as an athlete too? someone who travels and still maintains independence, how do you, how do you take care of the bathroom when you're out, not at home as silly as that is? No, it's not silly at all. Oh my gosh. It's like the hugest part of life. Right. Um, <laughs> the the part of life. Uh, it's probably the, the worst part about having a, um, a spinal cord injury is having to like figure out how to deal with all that kind of stuff. So um, no, totally fine to ask about that. Yeah. You know, um, I, uh, I've never actually really considered doing a super pubic, although I know a lot of people who have, and I know a lot of people really like it. Um, <clears throat> for me, I got really good at getting dressed and undressed, um, because that's one of the more annoying things, especially like with women, we have to 
get all the way basically undressed where men don't need to. But I've gotten pretty good. I've also gotten really good at getting the right clothes. So like stretchier clothes is easier. So uh, that sort of stuff makes a big difference. Um, but I, you know, I still, I cat um, like four or five times a day and, uh, and we'll do it anywhere. So either at my house or out. Um, you're right. I do travel a lot. So we travel all over the country. And so I just bring stuff with me. And, um, I have found that, you know, there are certainly things that are, uh, unique to everybody's bladder, but at the same time, like one of the things that's most useful I find. And when I talk to people is like the more routine and schedule you are, the better. Um, and that has made all the difference in the world. I feel like I'm on constantly on like the strictest schedule ever in terms of managing um bowel and bladder stuff and that really really helps to make it manageable and make it able to like function and work as you know you would hope it to be yes yes now have you I know you set a schedule so I imagine you mean like making sure you're drinking a a whole water bottle before noon so that you can pass enough you know, urine by the time it's bedtime to not feel dehydrated and stuff like that. Has that been challenging? Like, has your bladder been pretty consistent then because you do have a schedule? Um, yes, yes, yes and no. Um, I've started actually since having my second daughter. So I have two girls. My second daughter's, uh, uh, almost two. So it's been a little while, but, um, I started drinking a lot more coffee. I used to drink coffee like just sort of sporadically and then after she was born it was like I really needed it every day because I had a toddler and a newborn and it was a lot harder so um, that's actually been one of the bigger struggles for me is I really enjoy drinking a cup of coffee in the morning but it really messes with my bladder Um, and so it's sort of like an irritant so it makes me pee more and I'm not really like I think that I've cast at the right time but then I'm like an hour too early and then right so um, I've had to really learn about that. Um, but if you, t- and I actually just had this thought the other day, I was like, I could probably stop drinking so much coffee. And by so much, I mean, literally like a cup a day. Yeah. Uh, probably stop drinking so much and, and uh, it wouldn't be so bad anymore, which is probably fair since my girls are a little bit older, but. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've really like adopted tea now. Cause I used to be, I mean, I still am very much like you in the sense where it's like, you know, a cup, a cup of coffee just tastes so good. Sometimes it's all you want, but you're right. It is a diuretic and an irritant. And um, yes, I would have the same problem or, or where like my body would just produce so much urine. I would go to urinate and it, and my bag would be full and I'd be like, oh, whoa, good thing I urinated now because I actually have a pretty high capacity where I won't leak right away. But But then it was like I would get dressed and, you know, not even an hour or two would go by again and I would I would have to go again. So it is it's a hard thing to learn, but it's it's obviously not all we need. We don't only need coffee. But do you mind me asking if you were able to deliver naturally or with um, cesarean section? Yeah, no, I had a natural delivery. I delivered. um, I did not have to have a C-section, which was great. Wow. 
I was really happy about that. Um, you know, both my, all my doctors were like, yeah, you can do it. No problem. I got induced for both of them. So I wouldn't go into labor and not know it. That was my biggest fear, um, was going into labor and not knowing it because of my level of injury. I can't really feel contractions the same way as other people. Um, so that was so that so they induced me for both of them and and for both of them I had a really easy labor so it yeah. was wow that's just amazing so when you say easy labor what does that mean like relatively short and there were no complications I mean again I know I know you don't know what labor is like without or with <laughs> having all your feeling but, you know, that's something that my doctor has said, too. Like, you can have a baby if you want. Like, your body knows what it's doing. Do you mind just sharing a little bit about about those journeys with your girls? Yeah, that was um, it, one of the coolest things that I that I got to see was how much your body just knows what to do. So even without me doing any of it, my body was able to, like, have contractions and birth a baby. It was really cool. Um, so I, yeah, with both of my girls, um, pregnancies and stuff were, uh, pretty good with my first one. I had a few complications, um, that, uh, were, I don't think really related to my spinal cord injury. I had like a placental abruption, which meant the placenta sort of pulled away a little bit from the uterine wall, which can be really dangerous, but thankfully wasn't for my daughter, but ended up meaning that for the last month I had to basically be on bed rest, which was really crummy. Um, but, uh, but the delivery was really easy and I got induced. They gave me IV medication to start contractions and, uh, I got an epidural for both girls because they worry about autonomic dysreflexia. Um, and that you can have, you know, this, that pain that I, my body is feeling, even though I'm not feeling it, um, can cause lots of issues, um, with blood pressure and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So they recommend getting an epidural to help help that discomfort, um, even though I'm not technically feeling it. And so I didn't feel any real pain um, with both of my girls as it got much closer to the end. Um, and like right before I was going to deliver, I started feeling like worse um, and worse really meant like with my first one, I was getting headaches with every contraction, which was weird. Um, and with my second one, it was just like really, really strong um, tightness in my belly, even though I couldn't technically feel it. It's a really weird thing to describe. Yeah. Um, feel it, but I could feel the tightness. I don't know. Right. Because everything's connected. I know people are yeah. always like, what do you mean your your butt hurts or your lower back hurts? It's like, no, I just literally mean like the muscles coming off of it are also tight, are also aching. And so you're right. It's like, I'm sure, Kelly, you could feel like in your lower chest or in your sternum that tightness and knew that your body was contracting in that way. Yeah. Yeah. So that was exactly it. And so both times I was like, you know, we were, I was like, uh, I think things are, you know, something's different. And both times they're like, okay, let's check to see how far along you are. And then like literally the baby was there. And it was like, yeah. oh. Having a baby and like two contractions later, she was out. So wow, very fast at the end. That's (laughs) amazing. Yeah, it was great. So um, so it was super easy, and then and yeah, they were both wonderful. But luckily, I had two small girls. One was five pounds twelve ounces, and one was six pounds thirteen ounces. So 
So to make sure that you didn't like go into labor, did they plan like exactly nine months out or did they even do it a week sooner just to be safe? Yeah, so I was induced at 39 weeks. So instead of being 40 weeks, um, they did it at 39 weeks. With my first one, like I said, I had to be on bed rest at the end. So they actually induced me at 37 weeks. Sure. Um, so they just did it even a little bit earlier. But the original plan was to do 39 weeks until I had all that other stuff. But, but yeah, 39 weeks. So the hope was that I wouldn't go into labor. And I actually got this little device when I was with my second that monitored me. And I would put the little stickers on my belly and it like monitored for contractions oh, wow. um, while I was sleeping um, because I was really worried that I was going to like sleep through contractions. And then I, you know, cause you had 38 weeks, you can go into labor. I mean, you can go into labor at any time, but, um, right. and, uh, I don't know that it really worked. It was just like, it was a Bluetooth thing and it would send, uh, send signals to my phone. And so then like every couple hours I would wake up and check and make sure I didn't have contractions and stuff. Um, I don't know how much it really worked, but I never, yeah. went no, nothing ever came of it. So that was good. Sure. Yes. Well, that's amazing. Now, Toward the end of your pregnancy, I imagine cathing was then harder because you had a big mm. belly to look over. What was that like? I mean, I'm sure you had people that were willing to help, but that's got to be tough, though, Kelly, for like three or four months, like needing more help or needing <laughs> more help to like check yourself for wounds or, you know, just stuff like that. How was that managing? You know, it was actually a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. Um, I don't use, when I cast now, I don't use like a mirror or anything anymore. I used to always in the beginning. Um, but now I just do everything by feel. So like I sort of know where th stuff is. So actually it wasn't, I could still do all of that on wow. my own, which was great. Yes. Um, there was, you know, the things that my husband helped with was like my shoes. I had like certain shoes that had zippers on them that I usually just like bend over and lean on my legs and zip them. And I couldn't do that anymore. So right. he would always have to zip my shoes up Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. when I would wear those shoes. But it was stuff like that. And actually, honestly, not that much more. Like I was thinking that getting into the car would be hard or getting my chair into the car because I bring it like across my body um, when I get my chair in and out. And I thought like my belly would be in the way. It really wasn't. Yeah. Um, so Very it really cool. wasn't as much, uh, it didn't cause as many problems on like those daily living things as I thought. Amazing. So, that very, nice. very cool. Yes. And I suppose too, like as your belly grows, you're every day you're transferring, right? And so you're kind of adapting as your body changes too. So that's very cool. I just think that's amazing. So yeah, it's not sharing. like you... Yeah, totally. It's not like you go from like one day you're you're the way you normally are and then and then you have like 25 extra pounds on your belly. Like it's a slow right. process. So you get just are used to it. Yes. Yes. Well, very cool. Hey there, I'm a born Minnesotan, now Michigan girl whose life was thrown into an ineffable state of uncertainty in 2014. I was 24 years old and diagnosed with a rare deadly tumor. Superhuman doctors at the Mayo Clinic of Rochester, Minnesota saved my life by cutting me in half then putting me back together again with my leg bone. We decided to put me in a cauldron full of chemotherapy drugs for nearly a year in hopes of killing the mutated cells while my incisions in my skin from three days of surgery took seven 
seven months to heal. It was so tough, but I'm so glad I'm here with you all on the other side. My fiance Tyler and I have started creating bonus content for our Patreon supporters. Patreon gives creators the tools needed to acquire, manage, and energize their paying patrons. Having to ask people for money is difficult, and your support of this show is greatly appreciated. Thank you for sharing in my dream, and be sure to check out the bonus content online at patreon.com forward slash push diaries podcast. Let's get back to the show. So I know as a child, I'm sure you and Zeke did not think that, and maybe you did, maybe, maybe I'm totally wrong here, but like, I bet you guys didn't think like, oh, when I grow up, I want to start a foundation and be, you know, professional skiers. Can you tell me about what your dreams were as a kid and how they changed then as, as a woman with a disability? Like what sparked uh, that you two studied in college that made you said like, okay, we can do this. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, you're right. I definitely did not have like big dreams of running a nonprofit or doing anything like that. So when I was a kid, I actually wanted to work in healthcare. Um, I really wanted to be a doctor or a nurse or something like that. And that was always sort of my dream. Um, and that was true going into college. And then very shortly into college, I found, I just like found other classes that I liked. I ended up being a film and media major of all things. Um, and I wanted to work, I know I wanted to work in advertising and actually that's what I did as my first job out of college is I worked in advertising and, um, uh, and it was shortly after that, it was within like the first year of doing that, that I realized I actually really wanted to work in healthcare, which is what I always thought that I wanted to do. So I went, I ended up going back to school and becoming a nurse practitioner. So I actually work as a pediatric nurse practitioner now. And, and the foundation was sort of there all along um, because I started it in 2006, right after I got hurt, but it was just really small. And we were sort of one event that we would run every year. And then we, we, you know, count the money and give it out and save enough to put on the event the next year. And it wasn't until uh, it was 2014 that we were at this sort of inflection point that we had grown a lot and we sort of had over overwhelmed our, our part-time staff. And they basically said, you need to hire somebody full-time to, to come run this. And Zeke had actually gone to grad school. What, the same time I was in grad school for nursing, he was in law school. So he had worked for a few years as a lawyer and he knew he didn't really want to be his a lawyer for his whole career um, and decided that that would be a good time to have him take over full time and actually like run it and and see how where we could go and how we could grow that. It was really great that he was able to take that over. And then we sort of worked as a team and I've sort of had more and more involvement over the last several years. Um, I'm working. I used to work full-time as a nurse practitioner and would just do stuff with KBF, you know, like at nights and weekends. And now I do full, two full days at KBF and two days as a nurse practitioner. So very, it's a really good balance. Yes. Very, very cool. Do you mind me asking what reaction do you get from people? I'm sure sometimes you're still surprised by how people might respond to you being in a chair, rolling into the, into the room, but Truly, Kelly, if I saw you even before my injury, I feel like I would be like, oh, this girl knows what she's doing because she's clearly here today taking care of herself so greatly. <laughs> 
Well, thank you. Um, yeah, it's actually really fun. So because I work in pediatrics, I see kids all day. And it's They're great because, oh, my gosh, they respond. They say whatever is on their mind, which is so refreshing. Um, and they just have no filter. So I come in and they're like, why are you in that? And, I, and I'm like, what do you mean? You know, I'm like, you mean my wheelchair? Um, and so it's really fun to be able to actually talk to them and tell them about why I'm in a wheelchair and, and how it works and all that kind of stuff. And um, I always appreciate so much when they ask um, versus when they don't ask or if their parents sort of like shush them and say like, oh, you're not supposed to ask that. And I'm like, no, no, no. I so much rather them ask than, than wonder. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it's really I am um, it's really fun that way. I really like that. Yeah. It's it. a, it's amazing, and I totally agree. I have I have felt more welcomed from kids and what they say than I have from adults a lot of times. So it's just really it's really amazing. And then you say like, yes, I I injured my spinal cord, and and you know your spinal cord connects your feet to your brain, and all your nerves are very important, and they just kind of go like, yeah, I get it, like. You know, somewhere along the messaging system was broken, and that's okay. So, very mm -hmm. cool. At what point? I I know you're from a big ski area, or at least your your immediate group of family and friends and supporters kind of were involved in skiing. At what point did your foundation really kind of stretch and and start growing to other things? I I just have to say. Your Instagram page and Facebook pages are amazing if people want to go look at that. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. You guys are always sharing stories of people who you have been able to help. And recently I saw that you guys have helped a gentleman be able to plow his own driveway with the Action Track Chair Plow. So that's mm -hmm. just so incredible. Can you talk a little bit about how it's grown and, and, and how you've been able to get other sports and hobbies and maybe even different um, medical or wheelchair equipment to kind of help your foundation out? What has that been like? Yeah. So, you know, right from the beginning, I, my, my sport was always skiing. That was always my favorite sport, but I did all sorts of sports. And in high school, I played soccer and lacrosse and um, I love to go hiking and just be out. We have a lake here. So I love to go out on the lake. You know, I was just active in all sorts of different ways. And I didn't want that. I didn't want my spinal cord injury to stop that. So, you know, the, the first sport that I got into was hand cycling. And then the next one after that was skiing, you know, my first winter after I got hurt, the next winter I went skiing. And, um, but I knew that there were so many, that everybody was so individual on what they wanted to do and getting out in their own way was so important. So really that we started right from the beginning, we offered any kind of adaptive equipment, anything that you could consider adaptive that gets you active. So really adaptive sports equipment was eligible for our grants and, and that's continued. And what we, what we help people get into is you know, anything they want. The majority of what we help in terms of our grants are things like hand cycles, both road road and off-road, which are, you know, like mountain bikes, mono skis, sport wheelchairs, so things like basketball and tennis and rugby. But then we do all sorts of other things, like we do lots of off-road vehicles, off-road chairs, um, just to get people, you know, in the dirt and mud and fields and all that kind of stuff. A lot of people love that to go hunting and fishing. Yeah. Um, 
We help people with things like scuba equipment or equestrian equipment. CrossFit chairs actually are, have become wow. another big one. Um, so there's all of those different things that if you can consider it adaptive sports equipment, it's probably eligible for our grants. So yeah. it's been really nice to be able to help people in whatever area they want. And really, we're all over the country doing this. So we've given over a thousand grants at this point in 48 states. So wow. it's, you know, it's been really incredible to see the number of people we, we've been able to help. And then the last year or two, we've also really tried, we've been really starting to expand not only our, our active fund grants that we've sort of been talking about most is definitely our biggest program and the biggest way that we serve our mission, but we are doing it in a lot of different ways too. We're creating a really cool resource to help people learn about adaptive sports, find resources for that, connect with other people who are doing similar things. So we have a lot of stuff that's coming up that we're trying to just, you know, allow the opportunity for sports to be more present. And the number of times that I get messages or hear from people that said, I got injured 10 years ago and I never knew any of this stuff existed. I'm like, how can that be? Yeah. How is that possible? And we just don't want that to be the case anymore. Right. We want people to be able to know what's out there and have access to it no matter what. Yes. Um, so we're trying to develop more and more ways to, to get that to happen. Yeah. It's amazing. And, and thank you for coming on again, because I hope, Maybe someone in some random area in the country, like you're saying, that has no idea might hear this or or know of a family member or a friend that has gone through something so tough, like like their life changing with a spinal cord injury. But, you know, you and I, Kelly, are testaments to the fact that, like, if you believe in yourself and you push forward and, and you're open to finding, you know, other ways of doing things, it's out there. And but you're right. It's like. You know, a hundred years ago, it was so very different if you had a disability, right? And, and were confined to a wheelchair, you may never, you may never have thought you could have ridden a horse again or gotten back on a ski hill. And it's just incredible that, that your foundation is allowing people to do that. So, um, <laughs> pr pretty amazing that you guys have, have served a thousand different people or served a thousand different grants. I, I imagine. For something like an action track chair, it's much more expensive than a hand cycle or, you know, a special high back saddle. Have you guys been able to find sponsors that could donate to an entire, say, action track chair? Or is this a cumulative amount of donations that would then go to that device? How do you see this like changing as people are doing more and more active sports? How does that change your ability to really meet the need and, and make those grants fulfilled yeah so um kind of a loaded we, question <laughs> <laughs> totally um so when when people apply to us they can apply for any amount of money and we don't have limits on on what we say we will we will grant but uh oftentimes we don't do the full amount of a grant so if somebody's requesting five thousand dollars we may give anywhere from you know, a thousand to five thousand, but but on average, our average grant size is thirty five hundred dollars. So 
almost always people end up having to have to to raise some money or or put in some of their own money to actually get the equipment um so the way that it works is we pay the vendors directly so um we're not actually giving money to an individual um they have to have paid the rest of it and then we'll we'll finish off whatever we said that we've done that we would do um and uh for a lot of people um, people can, you know, oftentimes people can put in, you know, some money towards it, towards uh, whatever equipment they want, um, or they raise money. Um, and we've actually really supported a lot of people, and we've done it through a couple different programs to help them raise money also. And so we usually don't do it specifically through us. So it's not like a, here we have like, you know, John Smith who wants this piece of equipment, like, raise money for him to get that. It's more that people do that individually, you know, with the backing of our grant, they oftentimes have an easier time saying, I have, you know, $3,000 from the Kelly Brush Foundation. If I raise 2000 more, then I can get this piece of equipment. And oftentimes that's a really, really good ask. Yeah. So we've been able to really help support people do that. And I know a lot of people have found a lot of success in it's, I mean, it's hard though. It's hard to go out and ask for money. Right. So, right. Um, but it, how, how incredible for you to give the power back to them though and saying, look, we're here with you. We're going to help you achieve this. We just need you to put in, you know, some help too to really let people know, like, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what we want to get. What a great thing though to feel like not only was something like you said, just given, right? But that, that they really tried for it. So it's just, really cool too that you're also gifting people empowerment really yeah yeah totally and and you know it it depends also on um on the size of the grant right so an action track chair is much more expensive than you know say an entry-level hand cycle um and things like off-road hand cycles are have gotten really expensive too and so it's it's always tricky when you know there's a really expensive piece of equipment and we're trying to help support that person but uh you can't make quite as much of an impact you know with right. our grant size when it's when there's you know a twelve thousand dollar piece of equipment uh that that somebody wants so Thankfully, we've been able to, you know, obviously not everybody can can make that up. And we do our best to work with people to try to make sure that they can get what they need. Right, right. Absolutely. Okay, so can you talk a little bit about if someone's listening right now, how they apply kind of what they can expect throughout the process of having their grant um, approved or not? Um, and I could share a little bit too about my uh, situation. I know I had only tried a hand cycle like maybe once or twice when I had reached out to you guys and you encouraged me, keep trying, you know, go try mm -hmm. out different hand cycles so you can really know what you want. And I'm so grateful that I did that because I really had no idea, you know, even if I liked hand cycling enough to want to have my own. I mean, it was super fun, but like, I just appreciate that you guys, again, fostered and like empowered that through me to really like go explore and see what kind of device I liked. So, yeah, if you don't mind just sharing how someone applies from the beginning to the end, that would be great. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge part of it. We really, and, and quite honestly, this has sort of been a learning process for us over, over a lot of years of, of giving grants and figuring out, you know, what works is the last thing we want to do is, is grant a piece of equipment, help someone purchase that and then have it sit in their garage and never get used. Right. Right. We want people to be out, to be using it and to have our money well spent and to help, you know, have the greatest impact for them too. So we have two grant cycles. We do a fall and a spring cycle every year. There is an application that can be found on our website. So it's kellybrushfoundation.org. And and you can go on that. You have to fill out. It's a bunch of information, just basic sort of like demographics, but then also a bunch of questions about what equipment you want, why you want it, what you've tried, where you've tried it, um, the impact it'll have on your life um, and others in your lives. So family and friends and all of that. Um, we also we require a few different things. Um, one is uh, a, a note saying that you have a spinal cord injury because that's one of our requirements. You have to have a spinal cord injury. Um, we we require a letter of recommendation because we find that that's really helpful to learn more about people. Um, and uh, and then also financial information because all of our grants are need based. Um, right. So we're helping people who have a financial need and, you know, with a spinal cord injury, everybody has a higher cost of living. So it can be yeah. really challenging for sure. Um, but we have a deadline every every year. I don't know. Uh, I don't think ours is open yet. I don't think the spring cycle is open quite yet. But the deadline is usually towards the end of March. Um, yeah. And uh, once you apply, then we do a review uh, the next month, and about a month later, we we make awards. Um, so it's um you know some I hope it's not too overwhelming of a process. I know that uh, it's certainly um, you have to put a little bit of work into it to to do the application, but really it what we want is just to get a sense of who someone is and why this is important to them. Um, and when we understand that, that makes a huge, huge difference. Yes. Well, I thought it was a very easy process. You guys were wonderful to work with. And yes, it's been life changing. I mean, just to talk a little bit about how much we think of, you know, outdoor sports, being able to actually go on a walk with my nieces and nephews, right? And be able to bike alongside them, even if the road is a little bit, you know, gravelly or whatever, um, has been incredible. And I think too, Kelly, just going back to what you shared about being a nurse and being around kids, I mean, we're showing the world that it's okay when you look different and it's okay when your abilities are different. And that's such a huge gift in itself, not only helping the individual, but helping them be a member of the community that other people can, you know, reap the benefits of is, is huge. So I'm just so thankful for everything that you guys are doing and helping a, a man. He had a cervical injury, didn't he? The man who, yes, the man yeah. who, can you share a little bit about what it's been like delivering this equipment and hearing those stories come back at you? I'm sure it is just incredible for you and Zeke to hear how much people just are fulfilled and lit up by the goodness that your foundation brings. Yes, I know. I love that. Actually, so we've got a bunch of different people. You, you just mentioned me and Zeke, but I want to, we have, we're actually a staff of six now. Um, Amazing. So we have 
six full-time employees, which is really awesome. Plus me, I didn't even count myself in that. So uh-huh. it's really awesome. We've got, so we've got a big group of people that are doing all sorts of this work. So I want to make sure to give them a lot of, a little credit too. But um, yeah, I mean, and, and I say that also because so much of this is on our social media um, and, and um, uh, Whitney, who does our social media is, this is one of her favorite parts. She always says that, that it's so great you know, seeing responses from people when they get their equipment or when they find out that they're getting the grant that they're so excited because it is, it makes such a difference, not only in their lives, but in other people's lives too. And, um, you know, one of the things you mentioned that, um, the guy who got an action track chair, we, uh, what we like to do, I mean, we, we, all equipment is, is, eligible that can be considered adaptive sports equipment but certainly for higher level quads that don't have the ability to you know push a wheelchair or ride a hand cycle um, there's other things that are more power based that can really be life-changing for them and for somebody like that who who is really stuck inside a lot to be able to get out in the woods plow their driveway go you know in the dirt makes such a difference um, so I love doing that um, One of the stories that I actually really love, we had a woman who applied to us um, who had been hurt a few years before and said, you know, I always use my spinal cord injury as an excuse and said I couldn't do things because of it. Um, But I have two young boys and they just want to go biking around the neighborhood. Um, And I heard about your foundation. I heard about hand cycling. And all I want to do is get out and ride with them. And we helped her buy a hand cycle. And she went out and not only did it change her life, but it changed her kid's life because they all of a sudden saw their mom as somebody who could do stuff, not somebody who had to sit at home because they had a spinal cord injury. Um, And she she was just out, you know, she wasn't doing anything heroic. She was just riding in the neighborhood, but it made such a difference. She ended up losing like 50 pounds the first year. Um, And it just made, yeah, so it was so impactful for her health, so impactful for her family. Um, it just makes such a difference to have this equipment and feel like you can do those things and not have your spinal cord injury limit you. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. Um, where do you see the Kelly Brush Foundation in, say, 10 years? <laughs> Good question. Um, you know, we've been growing over the last several years. We've been growing a lot. I mean, we've grown every year since I've started the foundation. So, um, I don't see that stopping. I see us just continuing to grow. We're expanding into more and more areas. I, I sort of alluded to this before that we're hoping to just increase the number of people who know about sports and, and, um, have access to sports and be able to participate in lots of different ways. Um, so I see that, um, so much more and, you know, partnerships with other adaptive sports programs and rehabs. We've already started that. And I see that just expanding more and more also, um, to just connect the spinal cord injury community, um, to be able to be that much more integrated into the world, not just, you know, participating separately, but participating equally with everybody else. So absolutely. Okay. Last question. I wanted to ask you about disability travel. How has it been for you to travel with your, with your ski sled or, or, with your bike, I mean, do you usually drive? Or do you feel like 
um, airlines are getting better about, you know, having your equipment be sent in an airplane. I mean, no. yeah, I can see yes, <laughs> people can't see Kelly, but she's shaking her head. No, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, I, how cool would it be if we could just like, yeah, go to Italy and bike the countryside. Right. It's like, yeah. But I guess that's the dream is like maybe the Kelly Brush Foundation can like and these other adaptive sports organizations can somehow partner with people worldwide, like you're saying, so that we can experience <laughs> all those things. Totally. Yeah. You know, um, I've done a lot of traveling uh, since I got hurt a lot for my foundation because we do events in, in Colorado and San Francisco and um I have gotten really good at just, I mean, take take the sports side out of it and the sports equipment side out of it. Just travel generally. Um, I've gotten pretty good at sort of navigating that whole area and air travel and all that. Um, uh, there's a lot that to that we could spend a lot more time talking about how to do that. But um uh, you know, there's a lot of advocating for myself and knowing what I need and getting the right seats on the airplane and having the time in between flights so that I can go to the bathroom and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and it just takes a lot more forethought think, uh, than, than, you know, if you didn't have a spinal cord injury. Right. Um, so that's a big part of it. Um, Traveling with sports equipment is really hard. So yeah. I haven't actually ever flown with my bike um, because I haven't – the couple times that I've wanted to bike wherever I was, I was able to borrow a bike from an adaptive sports program or something like that. Um, but So that's worked, but it's not nearly as good. There's a huge reason why we encourage people to get their own equipment because it makes a big difference to have something that fits you. I was out in San Francisco and I had borrowed a bike from BORP, which is the uh, Bay, Area, and, uh, Bay Area Outreach and Recreation Program, and uh, a huge adaptive sports program, tons of bikes. They did a great job fitting me and everything, but it's just not the same. It's not your own bike, so it doesn't feel right. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I was like 20 weeks pregnant and biking with like a whole bunch of supporters and it was really awful. Um, <laughs> it was really hard. But um, you showed up and you still did it, girl, which is awesome. Totally. Yeah. So when I travel with my mono ski, because that's a big one that like I, that's really hard to get some, something else. Um, I have a huge bag that I put it in that I actually had made for it. So I'm able to do that, but I often get a lot of flack from the airlines because it's overweight and it's really heavy and, um, all of that. And, um, uh, it really depends on who you get and how helpful they are. And, um, Oftentimes they're quite helpful and understand that, you know, being in a wheelchair, you need different equipment. Um, yeah. But but oftentimes they also push back a bit and tell me they're going to yeah. charge me a bunch of money and I try to convince them not to. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It is. It's amazing. Like you said, just advocating for yourself. I mean, I thank God that I went to school for social work, Kelly, because it has been my saving grace, truly. Like, even just getting catheter supplies as much as I need for the time we need it. You're right. Such a big part of spinal cord injury is being able to advocate for yourself, you know, on a huge spectrum and all the way down to little things. Like we said, going to the bathroom and stuff, it's huge. So, mm -hmm. um, I, I, you know, we just hope that all of our advocacy 
um, for ourselves is seen and heard by other people and, and that things can eventually change, like you said, ultimately really involving everybody, but, you know, working and living all in the same area and, and playing together too. So thank you so much. Are there any uh, organizations or foundations that you want to share about today that, that you've worked with or that you think is really beneficial for someone newly injured? Um, that is a really good question. Obviously your foundation. <laughs> yeah. Gillibrand <laughs> Foundation is great. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, like one of the biggest things that I always advocate for is, um, after coming out of rehab is finding an adaptive sports program that's close to where someone lives. The benefit of an adaptive sports program is you get to try a bunch of different things. And you mentioned this before in terms of your grant. That's one of the things we love to see is that people have tried different things and know what they want. But you know, our grants aside, um, you know, if you can get home and find an adaptive program, not only are you then learning about the sports that they offer and trying those, but also being around others with disabilities and being able to talk about all of the things that you are now dealing with, the stuff you and I talked about, getting dressed, going to the bathroom, you know, daily routines, all of that stuff is really helpful to have other people to talk to. And you can find those people at adaptive sports programs. There's Lots of different ways to find out about adaptive programs. You can go to our website. We have a whole map that shows all the adaptive programs across the country. Um, Disabled Sports USA has a really good network of um, of adaptive programs, so you can use them too. But that's my that would be my biggest thing for anybody, even if you're not an athlete at all, just to be able to learn how to move around outside of your wheelchair um, and different opportunities for that. I think is so huge. Yes. And then lastly, I, I saw on YouTube, you guys are starting to come out with different episodes. Are these journeys of people that mm. have gotten equipment and are, and are learning how to use those things firsthand or, or what are you sharing? Yeah, the um, I think probably what you saw um, was started during COVID. And so this was I think what you're talking about is Greg Durso, who is our program director. So he has a spinal cord injury, was a grant recipient of ours, and now works the Kelly Brush Foundation. So it's been really awesome to have him um, a part of our team. And he has interviewed and talked with a bunch of people in the spinal cord injury community, in the dis- disabled community generally, and in the adaptive sports community, which are all sort of like Venn diagrams with overlapping yes. you know, areas there. Um, a lot of them are people who have had, who have received grants from us, but a lot of them are just, uh, people in this community that are doing really cool things and are, you know, it's just really fun to share their stories. So we did a bunch of that early on in COVID when everybody was dying for content and things to watch and listen to, um, and now has been a little bit more sporadic, but yeah, so that's part of it. But also, you know, in a lot of ways, we just want to bring this community together so people have can can connect for lots of different reasons. Um, and I'm hopeful that over the next month or so, um, some of the new products that we're launching and the new programs that we're doing are going to be able to do that. Yes, amazing. Well, thank you so much, Kelly. I really appreciate all your time. Is there anything else you want to share or do you feel like we covered most of it? I think we covered a lot of it. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yes, thank you so much. I will let you know once I get this edited and ready to be released. 
And um, if you don't mind, I'll also share your website. And then if you could just send me, you know, maybe like four or five, six pictures of you working with um, the foundation or any photos you want me to include on your little website that goes with your episode, that would be awesome. But I just sure. hope to further your mission, Kelly, and shoot people over your way. And um, again, if people want to donate to the Kelly Brush Foundation, it's wonderful that they are able to grant people that need um, the ability to really feel included in, in things that they used to do and love, like, you know, walking or throwing a ball or riding a horse. These are just amazing things. Thank you Thank again you. so much for everything you guys are doing. And I hope to talk yeah, to you again soon. Definitely. Definitely. Well, I will get some pictures over to you and, um, yeah, let me know if there's anything else I can I can help with, all right? Sounds good, Kelly. Thank you again so much. Take care and happy new year. Thanks, you too. Bye. Bye. This has been Push Diaries Podcast. Please visit our website at pushdiariespodcast.com to see our mission and learn more about the guests. This is your podcast too. I want to hear your stories. Email me at pushdiariespodcast at gmail.com and consider supporting the show by going to patreon.com forward slash pushdiariespodcast. Thank you for listening. If you are a sponsor or would like to run a commercial and think that my message and my podcast would be beneficial for your business, please consider contacting me. I would be honored to work with you. We have the ability to put commercials into these episodes. Thank you for your consideration. Take care.